What is the healthcare triangle? How is it broken? And what can be done to fix it? We'll find out on part one of this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Eric Parmenter, who is the National Leader of Value-Based Care at Collective Health. And this is going to be a two-part interview. We're going to talk in the first part of the interview about fixing the broken triangle in healthcare, and we'll explain all about what that is and why it matters and what Eric's thoughts are on on how to fix some of the problems that we're experiencing today in the industry. In part two, we're going to talk about a very interesting index called the Net Promoter Score. It's something you may or may not have heard of, but it's beginning to factor into healthcare, and it will become more and more important as time goes on. And if all of that sounds just too stressful, we're also going to discuss Eric's book about avoiding stress and finding joy. So with that, welcome, Eric. Good morning, David. It's great to be with you again. Well, thank you for sharing your expertise. We always love to have guests back, and you were on one of our earlier podcasts and a great promoter, and we appreciate that. So let's let's dive right in. What is the triangle and why is it broken? Well, the concept of the broken triangle is imagine three corners, if you will, of the triangle, the three points of a triangle. At the top point, you have the employer. Bottom left, you have the carrier or TPA, third-party administrator, the, the actual entity that pays the claims and puts the network in place. And then the right point is the provider. And here I mean hospitals and physicians and all the ancillary services that go along with provider groups, labs and, and such. If those are the three main parties to an employee health plan, you would think that all three parties have entered into an agreement with each other, whether it's a three-way agreement or three separate agreements. But in reality, there are only two agreements, and I'm using generalities here. The legal forms may take more than, you know, two pieces of paper, but the basic contractual relationships really only exist between the employer and the carrier. Again, that entity that is putting the network in place and paying the claims, whether that's a separate TPA with a with a separate network or whether it's one organization like the large carriers that we're all familiar with, there's a contract that says for the employer, that carrier will provide a, a list of services, including eligibility and enrollment loading, issuance of ID cards, basic customer service and call center, and of course, the most important parts, the provision of a network and the payment of claims. So there's one contract. The second contract 
is the contract that that carrier, we'll just use the word carrier here to kind of encapsulate all the different forms, enters into with the provider group. So imagine a large health system and a large carrier, they've negotiated rates or discounts, although we could go off on another tangent about that, but they put in place determined charges for those providers that are going to be in the carrier network. So there you have the two contracts, the two points of the triangle, employer to carrier, carrier to provider. What is missing? And David, I'll just ask you this question. What is missing in this triangle? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm listening to you and I've had this thought before. Are there any other markets where buyers and sellers don't know each other? I mean, there's a complete disconnect between ostensibly the two most of the two groups who should be in the forefront. Well, that's a great question. Are there other markets, other industries where buyers and sellers don't directly contract? And I'm sure there are, but I'm struggling to think of one because in most economies, a buyer and a seller talk to each other. They agree on something. They agree on the price of the service. They agree on the terms of the service. And so that's the way economies function. But here you have a buyer, the employer, and a seller which is the provider, not the carrier, who are often not in a contract. In fact, according to some research by the National Business Group on Health, only 3% of employers have a direct contract with a provider group, only 3%. And so the vast majority of buyers and sellers in the health benefit space don't have a contract with each other. That means they're completely delegating the terms of the contract to these, to this other party, the carrier, and obviously brokers and consultants and PBMs and stop loss vendors and all the related services are additional contracts and involved in the process. But when we're talking about the core delivery of healthcare, you have a procedure at your doctor, you have surgery, you have a test, or anything that happens in the healthcare industry, the actual seller of that healthcare is the one providing the service, the hospital, the doctor, etc. And they are working with an employee or their dependent who is part of a plan that the buyer the employer has entered into. And so this is the broken triangle, David. Long story short, you have a triangle with two lines, but it's missing that third line. I call that the missing link. So I guess that begs the question then, how? why is that seriously important to our future as an industry and as a country being able to deliver healthcare? And how do you go about starting to look at the problem so you can craft some solutions? It's important for a number of reasons. First of all, let's start with relationship. If a buyer and a seller have a relationship with each other, they can better express their needs. And the buyers and sellers both have needs here. Obviously, the employer needs to have an adequate availability of providers to take care of their employees, both geographically and by service line. And so they would want to make sure that that is in place. And again, the networks usually take care of that. But if they're dealing directly with an employer and a provider, then they can ask those questions around breadth directly. The other thing is the provider wants to make sure that they have a relationship with an employer. They're taking care of their employees. 
what are the needs of that employer? Do they have a higher than usual incidence of diabetes in their population? Or are there other factors around the environment of that employer that perhaps a provider can can directly address. Maybe the provider can put an on-site clinic on the premises of that employer, or maybe the provider can send a nurse practitioner there twice a week to meet with employees to do basic care. So, relationship is the first point. The second point is cost. I'll just say cost and quality is part of the second point. It's no surprise to our audience that the cost of healthcare keeps going up and up and up by multiples of the consumer price index. By If the consumer price index, which is a measure of inflation, is 1%, we've been experiencing 6 to 8% increases in health benefit cost. And part of that reason I propose is that the carrier is not necessarily representing the best interest of the employer and the provider to the extent that we can take away unnecessary administrivia, we can take away waste, we can more target the types of care and services that are needed for a population. And if you have a relationship that's actually looking at quality, that's looking at cost, And here's the kicker, if the provider is taking some level of accountability, ownership over the cost and quality of that care, then the cost of healthcare should go down for that employer and the quality should go up. And again, it starts with that face-to-face relationship where across a conference room table once a quarter, you have representatives of the provider and of the employer talking to one another, looking at metrics that indicate their cost and quality. And by doing so, they make course corrections to improve. And I don't mean to diminish the role of the carrier at all. The things the carrier does are vitally important, but I'm suggesting there needs to be this additional contractual relationship between the employer and the provider. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. So there are, have been, and well, let's backtrack for a second and kind of look at history. There have been four basic eras of health benefit plans, right? There's, there's been back in the old days, there was capture, then there was steer. We all heard about steerage and kind of that's where networks started really exerting their influence. 
And then there was a shift and then there's where certain costs were shifted. And now we're coming back around circle to what's more of an ownership mindset. How do those four cycles get us to where we might find a solution? Yeah. And you're referencing an article that was in the November issue of Benefits Magazine. And the article is called Fixing the Broken Triangle. That was written by three of my colleagues, uh, Tony Bryce, Mary Kimberly, and Tanisha Woodard. And in that article, they talk about the eras of healthcare. And we're using the word capture to indicate kind of the HMO era that was all about capitation. Then we went into steering people to certain preferred providers. So PPOs were the common plan. Then we went into the era of shift, which is all about high deductible health plans and account-based plans such as HSAs, which shift much of the responsibility to the consumer. Now we're going into an era, I believe, of ownership, which is going to put some of the accountability on the provider. And I think that's an important distinction that while the era of shift or account-based health plans, high deductible health plans, have made certain gains in terms of lowering some costs, they've really been quite nominal. And the hope that individuals would become these grand consumers of healthcare really hasn't materialized. And there's plenty of research now to back this up. And so you and I can go in and buy a refrigerator and know much more about what we're buying than we can if we're purchasing healthcare. And it's just so complex. And so the era of ownership is one of accountability where the physician is going to take ownership, accountability over cost and quality of the healthcare experience and the benefit plan. By doing so, working closely with the consumer, the individual that's covered under that plan, and the executives of that provider working with the executives of the employer in this fixed triangle uh, model, we believe that cost and quality will improve because we're realigning incentives. Why not have an incentive where the seller of a good or service actually takes accountability for the quality and the cost of that service. If you and I buy a refrigerator from, I don't know, Samsung and the refrigerator breaks, there's going to be a warranty, at least for some period of time. And so the consumer is not left entirely owning the problem. It's shared between the seller of that service and the, and the consumer. In a very broad sense, isn't that what ACOs were, not in, in the context you're mentioning, but in their, in their original context, isn't that what ACOs were envisioned to do? That's exactly right. And in fact, what we're talking about really is a commercial ACO. And so a commercial ACO is an informal arrangement between the employer and the provider to, again, have accountability on the provider side to improve cost and quality. Now, ACOs formally were formed as part of the Affordable Care Act, and they started as the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Those programs are still in place. In fact, there are something like 800 or 900 ACOs in operation now in the country, most of which are Medicare-based ACOs. There are now three or four different kinds, but they're all part of Medicare. 
And in these formal arrangements, which are governed by the federal government through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, there are certain rules that the providers must follow. There are certain metrics that they must measure and benchmarks that they're held accountable to. And about half of those ACOs have actually saved money for Medicare. The other half have not. But the half that have not saved money aren't necessarily failures. They might be a newer ACO or they haven't quite ramped up to a critical mass of of a population to be able to produce the savings. And so we expect that over the next few years, much more than half will be producing savings. However, that's all Medicare, fine and good. We're talking about employers. There is no governing law for ACOs in the commercial space or the employer space. In other words, these do not exist as a legal instrument. In fact, they are an arrangement that can be anything, really. You can decide what kind of ACO do we want. And that goes back to the broken triangle. We think that ACOs don't have to be complex between an employer and a provider. They can have some very, very simple elements because, again, we're not following some government-mandated playbook. We can design these with a great deal of flexibility. So in the four minutes that we have left or so in this segment, if I'm an employer and I'm talking to my benefits advisor, how do I go about this process? What What are the necessary elements? How do you start? Well, first, I think you need to find an advisor who knows something about ACOs, and that may be harder than you might think. Secondly, you really need to have a discussion between a provider group that has enough depth and breadth in your marketplace to to actually run an ACO. And you could start by looking up the ACOs that exist now for Medicare and talk to one of them, if they're in your market, about forming a commercial ACO. You then need to get involved at some point in time, the carrier that you work with. But I would suggest that's not the place to start. That's the place to go to in the middle of the process. And then have a discussion around what are we trying to accomplish? The provider wants more of your business. They want less of your claim flow to go to their competitors. The employer wants lower cost and higher quality. And we can come up with some simple plan designs to make that happen. Do you need a particular kind of plan? I mean, is this applicable only to partially self-funded plans? Is there any applicability? Is anybody doing this on a fully insured basis yet? Many of the carriers are rolling out fully insured ACO products. Of course, they will be less flexible because they are following the filed products with the state because they're fully insured. I'm talking mostly about self-funded plans here where we can design this on a PPO chassis, on an EPO chassis. We can really be creative in terms of plan design. It does not have to be super complex. It can basically be a three-tier plan where tier one is your ACO, tier two is your wraparound national network, and tier three is out of network, and you offer richer benefits to the employees who use the inner tier. And then in exchange, those providers are looking at quality metrics and things like emergency room visits and, and hospitalizations and unnecessary care, and they're trying to reduce that quarter over quarter. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, 
without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.